0: Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ.
1: I would like to welcome you to another episode of Deep Light. My name is Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors of Park City's Presbyterian Church. And today I have as my guest, Jessie Skinner, who lives here in Dallas and serves as a counselor over at Sparrow House. And um, we're going to spend a little bit of time getting to know her. I had seen her before, but we had never really gotten to know each other. So um, in the few minutes before recording, we've talked and we have some things in common, that I think are really, really Cool. Then we're going to go in and talk about the topic of technology, especially as it relates to our children. So this particular podcast is in a series um, on parenting and just helping moms and dads. So Jesse, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for
1: giving us some time today to talk about these really important things.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
1: Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? How did you find your way to Texas? And then how did you find your way to serving as a counselor at Sparrow House?
0: I grew up just outside of Oklahoma City. Uh-huh,
1: which and- is what we have in common. She grew up in? Choctaw. I grew up in Bethany, across the lake. Yes. But not really rivals. Not
0: too bad. Not too bad. Our high schools played each other, though.
1: They did play each other, but when, when I played your high school, it was a long time before she was born. So we've already <laughs> found out when she graduated, when I graduated, but let's move beyond that. So Choctaw, Oklahoma.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and after graduation from college, I knew I wanted to do counseling and so came down to Dallas to do that and went to North Texas, Mm -hmm. did, uh, worked full time at CPS while I was in school at North Texas Mm -hmm. and then spent a lot of my training working with kids in foster care and kids in the world of adoption and joined the House team almost nine years ago now.
1: So you've had, obviously it sounds like from a pretty young age, a heart for, you know, this kind of impact on individuals' lives. You went to college at Oklahoma State? Yes. Okay, I went there for one year. I'm a Sooner fan.
0: Oh, my parents met at OU, actually.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you you understand the confusion that that can bring. I never went to OU. Most of the congregation thinks I did because I root for the Sooners. (laughs) Um, But I was at Oklahoma State in 1985. Then I went to the University of Central Oklahoma, actually, where I graduated, which I know you know that school. So what did you study at OSU?
0: Family Relations and Child Development.
1: Okay, so you were already on this track then, really feeling like you would do something like this then you said you worked for CDC. What what was that like? What were some of your experiences there that just kind of opened your heart and mind to the, the needs that are around us?
0: I was not prepared when I moved down here. I moved from, I mean, Choctaw is a pretty just suburb life, yeah. and then Stillwater is a small town that's completely centered on a college. Right. And then my office of CPS was in Oak Cliff, and I'm working with families that were experiencing things that I never had even considered in life. And I remember having a coworker who taught me the parts of town that I could only go to in the morning time, Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: how do you drive through these parts of town? Don't make eye contact with people on the side of the road, things like that, that I just never
1: experienced nothing. Yeah.
0: Um, But then to see, you know, some of the ways these kids were affected by some of the things that they were seeing and, you know, talking to kids who knew stuff that I didn't know until Mm -hmm. I went to grad school. Right. At such a young age, being exposed
1: to that already. Yeah, that's pretty scary. So you came to Dallas to go to, you said Dallas Seminary, but ended up going to University of North Texas. Yes. Yeah, which you just told me is ranked in the top 10 programs in the nation.
0: Yes, they don't talk much about it, but they are a very, very top tier program for counseling. So. I'm very thankful for that training, especially because they have such a strong emphasis on working with kids, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times we talk about kids like they're just little adults. Yeah, There's so much going on developmentally, and I got really good training to be able to see those differences, which I'm really thankful for.
1: Well, and as a pastor, and you may not know this, but I served for about 20, almost 25 years as a youth pastor, so I was mm-hmm. deeply connected to middle school and high school students. Love that kind of always wanted to do that. Thought I would do that the rest of my life. Then I was called to this church to have that role, and then I transitioned into the role I now have. Um, but I'm
0: pause you for a second. Yeah. There's a caterpillar crawling on your shirt.
1: Now that is a true friend.
0: <laughs> I was like, something's moving.
1: It is a caterpillar. Hmm. <laughs> protein. Mm. Just kidding. If you're listening, I pretended to put it in my mouth. Um, but Jesse was a friend. She she was <laughs> letting me know that this caterpillar is crawling up.
0: Were you afraid for me? Uh, I don't like bugs. So I was like, <laughs> I just think you should know. So that could be another podcast. Maybe <laughs> talk about the kind situation. of bugs we're
1: afraid of. And it was a caterpillar, if it had been something else, I might... Yeah. Totally I would have had out. a different
0: response. It wouldn't <laughs> have been as
1: calm. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm glad it was just a catapult. first, I thought you were going to say, you've got barbecue sauce on your face.
0: <laughs> just a little extra lunch. It's fine.
1: All right. So back to, yeah, where were we? What were we talking about? Something about...
0: Youth pastoring. Youth pastoring.
1: And... Perfect. So we probably would have done skits with a bug like that. <laughs> so I always had a heart for you know, middle school, high school students. My wife and I have five children. So we have a... 25, almost 26-year-old, all the way down to a little boy who just turned 12. And so once we became parents, it was a totally different perspective. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I don't think the truth has changed. I know it hasn't, but boy, how these individuals are processing it, and then having five children, each of them process things differently. I quickly realized what you just said, that there is a lot going on in their hearts and minds that we need to take seriously. Plus there's so much more input coming at them My goodness, yes. than ever before. And some of that's good, but much of it might not be good. So I'm really grateful to have time to talk about that today. And I know those, those watchings, particularly your parents, I think will be deeply encouraged. So tell me a little bit about how you see technology influencing children today. I know there's gonna be good ways, mm-hmm. but there's also gonna be harmful ways or you know scary ways. What are ways you just in general would say, I see technology impacting children this way?
0: I mean, I think it's such a broad picture. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some really great things. I have um, nephews and a niece who have never lived in the same area as me. Mm -hmm. And they're great with FaceTime. They are connected to their family in a way that I never got to be with with family that I wasn't close to. Mm -hmm. And kids just have this idea that the world is so much smaller than maybe it would have ever been felt for me or Mm -hmm. things like that. I think one of the things that we have seen really since probably, I don't remember exactly when it was like 2010, when they started really pushing algorithms on social media and things like that, we start to see more of a performative culture where Mm -hmm. kids have moved. It's moved more from connecting and, hey, this is just my life. These are my kids and pictures, things like that. And then it turned into now I have to use the filter and look exactly perfect and this is how I must dress and this is what normal is. Yeah. And so now you see kids kind of living life. I know in the early two thousands, they talked about that generation was had been raised on uh, reality TV, right? And so they kind of thought as if they were always on TV, right? Well, now this generation is even further into that. I'm always on. Somebody could record me at any time, which is true. Yeah. And so I think that there's just so much more of a awareness.
1: So you used a phrase I'd not heard: performative culture. So. Tell me what you mean by that. I understand like Mm -hmm. performance and performing for people, but that's an interesting phrase, performative culture.
0: I think, you know, you talk to kids and the idea that if I post online, I must have this many people respond to it or like it. I need to look like this. It's not just, oh, this is the thing I did today, but it's, I need to arrange everything on the table at dinner to look just right. And it's more of a I'm producing content for those around me, mm. even if they're not living as an influencer. I know there are a lot of people who that's their actual income. That's how they make their money. But then you have kids trying to emulate that and thinking that that is what is normal.
1: So kids, I remember growing up, we had show and tell, right? Yes. So you would, you would bring something to school. It could be a toy. It could be a pet. It could be a parent. Not many people <laughs> do that, but show and tell. So this isn't show and tell. This isn't just saying, this is what happened to me. I'd like to share with you what took place. This is me saying something that may or may not have even happened, but I'm going to enhance it so that it looks a certain way to a specific group of people that I really care what they think about me. Is that fair? Is that an accurate way of saying it?
0: Absolutely. I would even go further to say that a lot of what kids and honestly adults do now is to be done for the internet audience. Mm. I saw on the news, I think last night, somebody is being prosecuted somewhere in the US because he they think he intentionally crashed a plane in a national forest, like a prop plane. He was flying it uh-huh. for YouTube. For his YouTube video.
1: So he just intentionally did that for ratings or for shock or so to have people say, I'm interested in this person yes. for what he did. Wow. So that's what they're
0: say, they believe happened. Because wow. he had the whole video posted.
1: Wow. So what is this where do you, where do you see this beginning to impact children in terms of mental health? Like at what ages are they beginning to think this way? I mean, certainly when it first started it was, you know, probably older teenagers, college, but now mm-hmm. it's certainly trickled down. Oh, yeah. What's the youngest you see that are already caught up in this culture?
0: Oh, I think it depends. You know, you've got especially younger siblings because they watch their older siblings, mm-hmm. so uh, younger siblings honestly are often the ones who come in earlier mm-hmm. and parents are you know, we're just a lot more Strict with our oldest kids, and Mm -hmm. then things loosen up as you get younger. I have kids, you know, six and seven, who maybe aren't doing social media, but they're doing YouTube or Minecraft, and they're already figuring out ways to try to like talk to people online, Mm. or this is what you're supposed to do online. Or, you know, there's the kid who I think there are a lot of them now, but who makes millions of dollars a year opening toys on YouTube videos, and kids are looking at it and The number of kids i have who are like that's my goal is i want to be a youtuber
1: now so some people watching this probably have no idea what you're talking about or listening like how do you make money doing that and i bet many of them are sharper than i am and they understand all that but maybe not so explain what a child might learn about making money on something like youtube opening gifts how does that work
0: so a lot of times it's sponsorships Mm -hmm. i know like There are different ways. TikTok has gotten really into paying people for number of views, things like that, trying to improve their platform overall. Mm -hmm. But for most kids, you know, as adults, we don't necessarily know, but kids also don't. They see this kid is opening toys, which I'm great at and love, and he's also making a lot of money. This is everything I've wanted in life. Like this, done. How do I get this done? And, you know, I think that kid's parents probably did a lot of things to, set him up in order to be successful there. Mm-hmm. But I also imagine his level of privacy is really gone. I hope he has a lot of people watching what gets posted, things like that, because there are safety concerns sure. and concerns with, I'm sure there are negative comments, and how does that affect kids if they see those? And- yeah.
1: So there's going to be, obviously, in this topic, the extreme from, from what we're describing right now, maybe that is extreme, mm-hmm. all the way to people who are like, well, that's not going to be my child because right. my child won't be allowed to look at screens until they're, you know, <laughs> 25 or whatever. Um, so we know that, that that's going to exist in every conversation. Kind of in the middle, um, and that middle's going to be pretty broad, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you would say I see more of than anything else in terms of how technology, media, screens, etc., are mm-hmm. impacting you know, children, middle school students, high school students?
0: I would say one of the biggest ways we see it is honestly the impact on sleep.
1: Okay, interesting. And so, I wouldn't have expected that, but it makes yeah. sense. But tell me about that.
0: Yeah, so we have research that shows for teens who use screens of any kind more than five hours a day, and since over the past couple years, teen use has increased to over eight hours a day on average. So, um, some so kids.
1: On average, most kids, eight in hours a day in the US on a screen.
0: Yes. Wow. That's a ton if you think mm-hmm. about it. But then for adults, we're up there as well. Yeah. and We're on computers and all that. But we know that once kids have passed that five hours a day, they are, I mean, I think 60% more likely to have sleep issues because oftentimes the kids are looking at it while they're laying in bed, getting mm-hmm. ready for bed. They're staying up late to watch one more video. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who create the algorithms for TikTok and Instagram and all these things, they're really, really educated. and They know how to keep us clicking and yeah. watching and one more Yeah, And so once kids have less than seven hours of sleep as a teenager, the the prevalence of risk factors for suicide go up. I think it's like 68%.
1: Wow. When sleep deprivation begins to enter at that level, that's one of the consequences would be that kind of situation where a child would come to a place of thinking about that. That's really alarming.
0: One of the biggest things I talk with parents about, which kids always get mad at me about, Mm -hmm. and I'm very clear on it, But unless your kid is a junior or senior in high school, it's probably best to have a phone, computer, tablet, all of that docked in parents' room at night. Yeah, Um, Just because they are created to be so, so addictive.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And and I want to talk about that in a minute um, because I think it would be helpful for parents to have a sense of what should I be thinking about doing. But let's stick on for just a minute. So sleep deprivation... Um, which clearly leads to potentially depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, the inability to cope with certain aspects of life. Because obviously, we we're living in a very stressful culture. Uh, most schools, churches, sports, mm-hmm. music, whatever it is they are after excellence, right? And they wanna create an atmosphere of excellence. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but with that comes this kind of toxic air that children are breathing in all the time. You add to that, now you don't have enough sleep. That's a serious situation.
0: Yes, very quickly.
1: So speak to it in terms of anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. How do you see those things being connected?
0: So we have seen, I, I think it's like 2012, 2013 is when in the US, most households ended up with smartphones. That was mm-hmm. kind of the shift. And yeah. that's when most social media use switched to smartphones. Yeah. That year as well, we have charts that show teen and child anxiety and depression started shooting up. Yeah. And so you actually see the lines cross almost perfectly. Right. At that moment. Uh-huh. And so you see these things, and there's so many things that kids are aware of now. From the things we hear about all the time, you know, exposure to stuff that's well beyond their capability. Yeah, I've got kids who get messages, really, really, really inappropriate direct messages from adults saying things that they don't even necessarily understand. Yeah, And my teens are like, well, that's just normal. It's not a big deal. Mm. Which is heartbreaking to me because I know how I would respond. Yeah,
1: but it's become normalized.
0: Yeah, they just think that that's what they should handle. Yeah. And then you have the ability to tell, oh, my friends are all hanging out together because I can see on their snap map exactly that they're yeah, they all together are. and I'm not there. Yeah. Or this girl at my school has all these beautiful, perfect pose pictures. You know, They do full photo shoots with each other. Right. And I don't look like that. I had a girl even in my office last night, she was pulling up people and be like, see, I don't look like this. Mm. And then we're Googling how to find you know, a picture of that person without the makeup and the filter. I'm like, look, you look like this. We all look like this person. It's the, these other things, and so even that warped view of, what are we supposed to look like? Yeah, and,
1: if, and if, if the world is saying you should look like this, that added in or added reinforcement of this is what will make you happy. This yes. is what you should seek is very distorted.
0: Yes, because then the, the same pictures are at some fabulous place, it's so fun, I'm getting to you know, hang out with my friends that you're not with yeah. and, or I'm on vacation doing this and you can't do that, but I look like this and I have these clothes and my, everything's great.
1: So what do, you, um, what do you say to your clients as you meet with them and they're experiencing those kinds of issues? How do, you, how do you talk them through specifically the issue with the technology, the device that they're using where they're constantly receiving these images?
0: I think it's really tough because kids, it's so ingrained into their world Mm -hmm. and their culture Mm -hmm. that you have to be careful coming in as an adult just being like, well, you know, social media is bad. Mm -hmm. They're going to turn you off pretty immediately. Immediately,
1: ears shut. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm.
0: It's a lot of conversation. Mm -hmm. Hey, what does it feel like when you see things like that? And if everybody on your feed is a perfectly manicured human, what does that feel like for you? Mm -hmm. What does that make you think about yourself? And really starting some of those more nuanced conversations. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times I know I'm like this. I can't blame teams for it. Mm -hmm. If it's my idea, I'm more likely to do it. Yeah. Want to get there for kids too. And they're smart. I have, um, I spoke to a girl and she told me, she's like, don't tell my parents. And I was like, can I tell other people? She's like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But she went to a private school. And in that private school, her grade didn't get phones until they were about eighth grade. Like Mm -hmm. the parents kind of banded together and Uh just held off. Two grades below her, those kids got them in sixth grade. She will talk. She would talk pretty openly about how that grade that was two years younger than them was dressed more intense. Like, would basically, she said, they're like they try to be like Kardashians. It's yeah. Like my grade shows up and our hair is in ponytails and we don't care and everybody kind of acts like brothers and sisters. And the kids two years younger than us are way more obsessed with dating and they're more obsessed with the way they look and things like that. And I think having kids be able to articulate those things yeah. is so much more helpful than just talking down to them.
1: And that that's very, very insightful. And it helps, I think, for parents to hear that over and over again. Because most parents, like me, you want to solve a problem. And you look for the solution. And the solution could come in the form of a book. It could come through a podcast like this. It could come through a lot of different ways. But what we can't, forget is you can't just immediately change a belief system that's mm-hmm. generating a certain type of behavior. And so it takes time and patience to help a child realize, this is what's best for me. I can see this. Now, there's clearly times when you know you have to take something away because the, the harm is so imminent. But in situations like this, it's much more complex. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we have five children I mentioned. We decided that our children would get their first phone when they turned 12 at Christmas. Now, when we made that decision, there were no smartphones. Mm -hmm. So that didn't... is a better world. It it was (laughs) a better world. And it was a neat device that they could really do very little with. They could call me or they could call their mom. (laughs) And, you know, they could barely text at that point because it was like... Oh, the T9. (laughs) Yeah, it takes like, you know, six minutes to say, hi, I love you, which they write to us all the time. Um, (laughs) So when our third child turned 12, that was the time period you just described. The iPhone was out, the smartphone was out. And frankly, the incentive to buy that versus one of the phones that his uh-huh. older sisters had wasn't as good. So we're like, okay, this is the world we live in. This is where it's all going, so what do we do now? And we definitely you know, set up all kinds of parameters, et cetera. And there wasn't anything that we could see that he was looking at that was inappropriate but didn't matter. The time he was spending on the phone because of the fun things he could do was great. None of his other friends had them yet. Now we have a daughter who's, you know, almost 14. She got a phone at 12. We have a son who's 12 who should get his phone this coming Christmas. And the two younger children are by far the last to get phones. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we did it, We were kind of on the front line, the the earlier edge of that. And one of the reasons we wanted to do that was because they were pastor's kids. You know, they always felt like they didn't get to do anything. It's like, (laughs) this is one thing we can do that's relatively safe. Not so much anymore. And so now our youngest two are like, well, everybody I know has a phone. Um, And so talk about that for a minute. Yeah, how do you help parents understand... You know, technology is a reality. It's not going away. It's only gonna become more enhanced. So what advice, what counsel do you give parents in terms of age and stage for phones? What kind of restrictions should they put? Um, what's going too far and could actually do more damage than good?
0: That's such a big yeah. <laughs> amount of things. Yeah. I think the first thing I want parents to hear is, be willing to talk to your kids, even before technology's in place. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even with really small kids, We talk a lot about the books, uh, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Mm -hmm. And it gives parents, and empowers parents to have conversations about things online Mm -hmm. that kids might see that Mm -hmm. people are trying to get your kids to see. Yeah, I think last I looked, YouTube has over 400 hours of content uploaded every minute. Even with filters, people want to get kids engaged in inappropriate content, in things that are just scary, or they just think it's funny to mess with things. Your kids might see things even if you have it completely locked down. So have conversations. So hey.
1: first establish that relationship where you're having conversations um, and those conversations need to be more than one way though, right? Yes. So talk about that for a minute. How do parents move into that place or that space where it's not just me talking down, mm-hmm. but it's us engaging in the conversation so we can actually have some benefit.
0: I think a lot of times asking your kids, so what would you do if, mm. and when we know it's a when, when your kid sees something inappropriate online or something that's confusing or scary. Yeah. What would you do? And then hear what your kid says. A lot okay. of times they're going to go more extreme or way less extreme than you're thinking. Yeah. But then they are part of the conversation. Yeah. Hey, what are what kinds of things do you think people should be worried about with their kids having access to YouTube or playing Minecraft with people online mm-hmm. or whatever it is your kids doing cuz all the kids have all these different ways that they're connecting. Right. Um, Do you think there's a problem with talking to strangers online? What do you think could happen that would be okay? What do you think could happen wrong? So being really just starting those conversations really early. Mm -hmm. And then I really encourage parents, as much as it's easy to just be like, I don't understand this world. And it goes so fast. Yeah, Really, really try to keep up with things and be really aware of what's going on. What are some
1: ways parents could do that? that wouldn't necessarily overwhelm them or, mm-hmm. in some cases, freak them out. You know, where, <laughs> yeah. hey, we're moving to Choctaw. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're getting way, way out of the world. Um, it's not that far out of the world anymore. But what, what are some resources out there that you would recommend?
0: Honestly, I think where I have learned the most is looking at YouTube videos of kids trying to teach other kids how to get around their parents and their parents' restrictions. Okay,
1: <laughs> I've never even heard of that. And I don't want my kids to hear about that. Yes. YouTube videos of kids Helping other kids Mm -hmm. get around.
0: Yes, there was one I saw with like a six-year-old boy, and he was showing how do you get around the parent's code on the phone. And he was like, this is what you do. You set the screen record, which a lot of parents don't know you can do on a phone. And they can record everything that happens to the screen. Then hand the phone to your parent. They don't see that it's recording. They type in the code. Then you know their code. Okay. And this six year old boy makes I, this I, video. I,
1: I didn't, six- oh, I had
0: no idea. <laughs> yes. And that's how I learned about it. That's wow. how I learned. That's what one of the things kids are doing. I think asking your kids, hey, what do your friends do? Kids love writing each other out and telling these stories. They're fun. That's how I <laughs> learned a lot of it. I'm like, okay, then what happened? Or what does that mean? Yeah. And I get to, I can't punish any kids I'm meeting with. And so they'll tell me a little bit more than they may tell their parents, yeah. but they will write out their friends.
1: But one thing I love that you're saying and really showing us is, it's not a transactional conversation. It's not just one time where I'm going to give you some input and trust that that's going to make the ultimate difference no. in your life. You'll never it. It's an ongoing relationship. And I love you talk about teasing those things out. You know, well, what about this? What more? And I know a lot of you know parents like, well, my kids don't want to talk to me. Um, yeah, you know, you got to stay with it. You know, you got to continue to ask questions, and they're not just yes and no answers. Um, but that's fascinating about the YouTube videos. I had no idea that those. We're on there.
0: They're, yeah, they are so interesting. It's this wide world. You know, I use YouTube if I need to do a home repair. Sure. But then talking to kids now, they use that as TV. Yeah. So the things that they have available, they're very intense. You
1: I said 400 minutes of content. 400, 400 hour hours of content a every minute, minute uploaded. That's unbelievable.
0: Which is, I can't even yeah. conceptualize.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you talked about like when to get a kid a phone. Mm-hmm. That is such a tough thing to figure out because mm-hmm. you've got five kids and they right. probably were at a full spectrum of maturity at 12. Right. You probably had some that you were like, I'll hand you the keys to the house. You know, you, you just take care of things. And some you're like, yeah. I don't really want to hand you like a jar of peanut butter. Cause I'm not entirely sure that's going to go well.
1: Yeah. One of our children, when <laughs> she was 16, we, I was speaking at a conference my wife, it was on marriage. So we went together and it was a pine Cove hour and a half yeah. away or so. And we left our 16 year old in charge of the family. And felt great about that. Some of our peers were like, "What are you doing?" It's like, (laughs) honestly, we trust her more than we trust somebody else. You know, she knows what she's doing. But that spectrum is pretty wide in terms of what that might look like.
0: Yes, and so I talk to parents a lot about thinking through what can your kid handle. With phones now, we're talking about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. Are you going to hand something else of that value to your child? Mm -hmm. Can you trust? Can they bring their coat home from school most days? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if that's still a problem, maybe the phone is going to be an issue. Um, I think having lots of conversations beforehand, because you're handing your kid the sum total of human knowledge in their hand. Yeah. So can you trust your kid to come to you when there's a problem? Mm -hmm. Or does your kid make poor choices and try to handle it him or herself? Mm -hmm. Um, Talking about, I always, I think it's really helpful to lock it down a lot at the beginning Mm -hmm. and then slowly... Give more parameter or more yeah. freedom yeah and so having these are the hours you get to touch this thing this, yeah. this is where it lives it lives in my room you yeah. li- you know have a lot of those thoughts but really even leading into the choice to get kids a phone you're really thinking am I gonna hand you a thousand dollars yeah or do you have impulse control to not immediately start attacking somebody who hurt your feelings yeah. and start texting them or getting online and bullying them?
1: so it 's interesting because the ways in which phones are purchased probably very few people drop a thousand dollars or fifteen dollars and one sit. Setting it comes kind of through your phone yeah. bill over time. Um, now you can buy insurance for five dollars a month, whatever you use. So, so yeah. the idea of keeping a phone this device in people 's hands once they get it for the rest of their life. Is obviously a pretty strong motivation for companies to do that, which I understand. Mm-hmm. Understanding your child's ability to navigate that's a big deal. I know when our oldest turned sixteen, um, we got her a laptop. Uh, some people give cars, mm-hmm. you know. We she didn't have a license yet, so it didn't matter. <laughs> so we got her a laptop, and so the big question was: Is she going to get to do um, Facebook? You know, and yeah. we said no. He said, "We're not going to let you do Facebook," and. We took her to dinner and um, had this conversation, and it went fine, but she wasn't willing to surrender that. In other (laughs) words, that was going to be a battle she wanted to continue to fight. Finally, we had to just tell her why, and it wasn't that we didn't trust her looking at things or seeing things. It was We just said, we don't trust your ability to manage another aspect of your life through this, Mm -hmm. which we think is going to be quite complex. And thankfully, she surrendered to that. I mean, ultimately she didn't have a choice, but, (laughs) you know, because we could take the computer back. But she then began to see what was unraveling around her and was actually thankful. Um, We had established a boundary. But, you know, if she had pressed really hard, 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 which I know some kids will, then I'm not sure. I think for many parents that's a really Mm -hmm. difficult thing, is to keep that line. One of our other children, um, you talk about having restrictions pretty strong at first. Um, my wife and I had a different answer on one simple question about when she could use <laughs> her phone at night on the weekend because it was like, well, on the weekends, you can use it till um, that really wasn't what we said. It's what she heard. She heard me saying indefinite, as long as you want. On the weekends, it's the weekend. Her mom saying, you can do it just this one time. That became a pretty big battle oh, for us where we had to kind of, let's come back. And I think a lot of parents are like, we can't go back now because she's already out the gate. And that's not true. You know, I think parents have to remember, we're the parents. We can establish these things. But at the same time, entering into it relationally where you continue the conversation as opposed to just um, making a hard and fast law, and this is why. Mm -hmm. So parents are going to make decisions about when their child gets a phone. Probably more than anything, I bet, that's influenced by parents around them and kids yes. around them, which is not always healthy, but that's a reality. Um, so no matter when a child gets a phone, let's move beyond that. What are the things you would say are rails you really need to give your children? You've mentioned some already, but I think it's yeah. worth repeating. What are some of those rails that you would say, if, if I were you as a parent, I would tell my child this. This mm-hmm. is how we would manage your life with that phone, uh, certainly initially and then probably even beyond.
0: I think the sleep thing is huge. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't need devices in their room. Honestly, most of us as adults probably don't either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think having some pretty clear behavioral boundaries. And so if I see your grades drop, and some kids it's if they don't have all A's, that's what they should have, because they mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. For some kids it's I just don't want to see a zero in the grade book, because even mm-hmm. if you put your name on a sheet of paper, you should have something more than a yeah, zero. right. And so if I start to see those things happen, that you know if i see this negatively impact your life Mm -hmm. and so creating some boundaries around that i think if with a young kid they probably don't need that phone or any kind of device in their bedroom Mm -hmm. you want them to learn to just that that's something that you can walk behind anytime and see right Uh, i think for younger kids or younger teens as a parent you're paying for the phone it's your phone look at your kid's phone from time to time yeah you maybe don't you we can get obsessive and feel like we need to check it every single day yeah Listen, they're probably talking about things that are boring. You probably don't want to do that. But I think for kids to know anytime mom or dad can come in and grab this yeah. thing, that's going to help them and help them provide some boundaries. A lot of my kids will talk to me and they'll tell me things they won't tell their parents. But knowing they can get in trouble with mom or dad is one of the best ways that they can push back against peers trying to get them to do stuff. Yeah. And so even just being able to say, hey, you can't talk about that here. My mom's going to read this. Yeah, yeah. It's a great... Boundary for them where they don't have to feel uncool. They can say mom's uncool and turns out none of us care. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, okay, great, think I'm uncool.
1: That's right, that's really a good point. Because you know I know one of these we established early on is that your phone is our phone. So any moment I say, let me see your phone, that's not a, wait, 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 wait. Now if you're in the middle of a game and you're about Mm. to hit the world high score (laughs) on Atari, whatever, Space Invaders, Frogger. Yeah, I agree. That will be reasonable. But, you know, this isn't like you changed your passcode and didn't tell me. Oh, yeah. You know? Or I know uh, one of my daughters took off their location. you know, Oh, yeah. And I was like, better happens again. I'll know where your phone is at all times because it's going to be <laughs> in my hand, locked away somewhere in my closet. Um, so I think it's really, really important to establish that early on and just know that mm-hmm. this is your right as a parent to enter into that. Um, what are other things that you might suggest? If a, what, what would be some warning signs that you're like, I would be concerned if my child began to do this, that either they're seeing things they shouldn't see or they're just engulfed in too much screen time? I know you've mentioned yeah. sleep already, but what would mm-hmm. be other signs that you're like, pay attention to this?
0: I think parent gut is such a strong thing. So if your gut starts to say something seems off, Mm -hmm. I always say pay attention to that and maybe don't jump on it immediately, but pay a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. If your kid starts to be jumpy around the phone, like Mm -hmm. they get messages and they're kind of jumpy or they are a lot more protective of it where... Historically, they'll just leave it sitting on the table and move you yeah. know, around the house, but suddenly it's always with them. Mm-hmm. That's a great time to start questioning things. Mm-hmm. If they are suddenly really tired, one of the things that I'll tell parents a lot because is that almost every friend group in every school, private, public, does not matter. That friend group has a burner phone among the phone. So if parents take the phone, there is an old phone that just gets replaced that they use on Wi-Fi. Hmm to still communicate with each other. So if your kids Okay, so exp- really-
1: explain that a little bit more okay. for those who are like, what was on fire? What was burning? You know, <laughs> help me understand. So Because that's critical. You took something away, yes. but that didn't mean it went away.
0: Yes. So most of us have an old iPhone or mm-hmm. some kind of phone sitting somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or for a lot of kids, it's like an old Android that parents have gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Kids keep those. Most friend groups that I'm aware of or that I've worked with, Somebody within that friend group has a parent's old phone yeah. or someone's old phone, older sibling, something like that. So if somebody gets grounded from their phone, that phone goes to the person who's grounded. Interesting. So they can still communicate with their friends. They can still text at night. Um, I often tell parents, if you have access, like AT and T is the internet service provider, I have, mm-hmm. I can see every item that's on my Wi-Fi. Right. And I can turn it on. I can turn it off. Be just aware. Every so often, check it. You don't have to be obsessive about it, but that's mm-hmm. a great way to kind of know. If you see your kid being really tired suddenly having problems sleeping it could be that they're up with a burner phone yeah it could also be that they're so worried suddenly really anxious they're ha- they're being bullied online they're mm-hmm. experiencing something that they don't they're not able to sleep so way.
1: something in their behavior is beginning to change looks a little bit awkward um could be like their phones with them all the time could be they're jumpy or with a text that's coming or something you can just tell mm-hmm. i love that you said pay attention to your gut but then you said something interesting, you said don't necessarily jump on it mm-hmm. at that moment. What do you mean by that?
0: I think because there's so many unknowns in parenting now and mm-hmm. kids are so, they can access so much, mm-hmm. a lot of times our anxiety as adults is we jump in so quickly, kind mm-hmm. of like you talked about, like I've gotta fix it immediately. right? Right. And so we oftentimes jump in before we can figure out what's actually happening yeah. or maybe what's going on. Yeah. And so I might say, oh, it's just because you're on your phone too much. And if I give it a little time and I pay attention, it's actually because my kid's being bullied by a bunch of other kids, and they're all texting my kid over and over and over. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the phone; it's that my kid's being left out and being had some terrible things said. Yeah. But that's a very different thing intervention.
1: Yeah. Because it's so often we would tend to think my my child is just being disobedient to the rules we've established. That's why they're hiding it. Where it could be something very different than that they they feel shame, they've been bullied, they're being made fun of, they're being left out, they experience loneliness. All of that produces anxiety and can produce yeah. more than that. Um, and so again, paying attention to what the dynamic is there, trying to learn as much about it before you launch into an attack on what you think it is, because you might really miss the mark yes. in terms of what the real issues are. Okay. We haven't talked at all, or not much about video games, mm-hmm. just in terms of, you know, the old, well, I mentioned <laughs> space invaders, but, you know, the, just the idea of sitting there with the PlayStation or whatever it is. What about that part of it? Not mm-hmm. just technology of the phones, but just, golly, there's so many great games out there, and yeah. kids can be consumed with that, become addicted to that. What do you look for in that? What are, what are some of the challenges that are, you know, just a reality to the clients that you see? And what's the difference between they just really like the game, and I think they're probably addicted to it?
0: Well, I think it's important to remind ourselves how much money these games have actually invested in creating the most addictive game possible. Yeah. When Fortnite came out, one of the things that you'd see in a lot of articles is that like that 27, 28 minute length of time that the games take Mm -hmm. and the battle royale style that it was, which Mm -hmm. is everyone's battling each other all Mm -hmm. at the same time, so you can't pause it, Mm -hmm. was like specially condensed Connected to our brains, and it sucks us in stronger. Mm. And so that was one of the ones where I saw a lot of parents having problems with kids because, hey, buddy, I need you to take the trash out. I can't. I'm in the middle of the game. You yeah, know, I can't this- stop.
1: There's no pause.
0: Yes, and then it's a desperation mm. because of just the quality of the game mm-hmm. has sucked them in to the point where I, there's, I can't stop. Yeah. And so you know, there's a full-blown addiction, which we don't see as much, mm-hmm. but there is... I am losing out on time of my other, like, child development things mm-hmm. only doing this. Yeah,
1: because this is making me happy. I'm having fun doing this. I mean, if, they, mm-hmm. if it wasn't fun, yeah, they wouldn't, wouldn't spend do time doing it. So they're not creating unfun games yes. I mean, just hoping that kids will somehow find them entertaining, right? I mean, these things are meant to really seduce that kind of time mm-hmm. and energy and excitement for something you know, and it obviously generates income for the companies that make these kinds of things. Absolutely. So when a parent confronts a child, like, hey, it's time to take out the trash, and then in the middle of the game, that game may last 10 more minutes or 15 more minutes, whatever it is, um, how would you encourage parents then to kind of navigate what's an appropriate amount of time To be playing appropriate games, I'm not talking about inappropriate games now, but just appropriate, this would seem to be in the realm of normalcy, it's not a Mm -hmm. bad thing for a child to be on a screen playing this game, and then when you say, this seems extreme, you Mm -hmm. you might need some help.
0: So it's tricky because it is different. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I have some parents who don't let kids touch games on school days, Mm -hmm. and that's because kids are so busy now, they have stuff almost every night, and so I think really thinking does this add something to an empty time of life or is this pulling my kid out of things that my kid would otherwise be doing? Is is my kid avoiding spending time with the kids in the neighborhood outside? Mm -hmm. I think, so setting boundaries that allow your kid to continue to be a kid and continue to do all of those other development things, Mm -hmm. which we're in a tough spot now because over the pandemic, that was the way a lot of our kids were connecting right? because they couldn't do the normal things. And so pulling back has created a lot of conflict. Um, but if you can come at the beginning, setting those expectations, hey, this is something that gets added, and so maybe it's just on the weekend. I think a lot of times creating it is something that can be earned. Mm-hmm. So if you get X, Y, and Z done, then yeah. you get this much. Yeah, it's a reward for something. Yes, yeah. So that, and then kids get a level of control. Mm-hmm. You're teaching a lot about consequences and how if I do X, then I get to do Y. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a lot more of an ability, and then you get to say as a parent, I would love if you could play more games. Right. But it seems like you chose that this other thing was more important. Yeah. Or not doing this other thing was more important. And right. I think that can be a helpful way to Kids are still going to throw a fit, but mm-hmm. I think we feel guilty as adults because we want to give our kids whatever makes them happy. Right. And then when you know you your kid is doing something like this, having those expectations set at the beginning. Hey, if you're playing a game and I ask you to do something, this is how you respond to me if you can't pause if you're playing a game that Then you need some more time. Hey, is it okay if I do that in 10 minutes when the game is over? Yeah. Rather than, mom, no, you know, the whole, yeah. or just completely ignoring. Right. So setting those expectations, because then, you, as a parent, if you can give the yes and it doesn't matter that the trash was taken out in 10 minutes rather than right now. Yeah, you can be reasonable. It's great.
1: Yeah. But I love how you explain that. It set the conversation ahead of time. Have you know an understanding of what's going to take place, because let's be honest, it's not just the children that are pressed for time, it's not just the children who are stressed and anxious yeah. we're bringing that into the reality mm-hmm. as well. And I know that if you've had a hard day or you still have a hard night to come, with who knows what you've got to do as an adult, and a child doesn't respond the way you want them to in that moment, that can get pretty ugly, pretty quick. Whereas if you had had that conversation ahead of time, mm-hmm. hey, you know if I ask you to take the trash out and you're in the middle of the game, I'll understand it if you say, may I do that in 10 minutes? Or something mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to, get out of my room, you just got me killed. You know, <laughs> yes. thanks mom. You know, I'm sure that's never <laughs> been said. You're the worst. You're the worst. So this comes back to kind of the parent question again, is like, what about when the child says, well, I'm the only child, or I'm the only kid that doesn't get to dot, dot, dot. You're so uncool, dot, dot, dot. Um, I know what we say as parents, you know, <laughs> What do you tell parents to say? How would you encourage parents to think about that when their child tells them, I'm the only one that doesn't get to, dot. I'm the only one that doesn't have, dot.
0: I think we get really tempted to get into an argument there. Because mm-hmm. my first instinct is like, well, no, you're not, you're not the only one. But I think going for what is the meaning behind what they're saying? Really mm-hmm. kind of connecting with, hey, you feel really left out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of taking the argument out and connecting to that emotion. Oh, yeah, that's feel- really
1: good. That's very, very mm-hmm. helpful. So. Yes. Connecting to what's going on behind the scenes as a post guy, I feel pretty guilty, by the way, Mm because I'm like, how many times have I just said, you know, you're not, that's not true. We know this one family. (laughs) They're (laughs) a lot less cool than we are. Um, (laughs) I don't really say it quite that way. But it is an argument as opposed to, well, why do you feel that way? And then even still trying to go, I'd suggest probably one layer beyond that, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. what's underneath that? What's underneath that? Do you really understand a feeling that they have?
0: Yeah, it makes sense that you... Are looking at some of your friends and you're feeling left out. Yeah, you know I'm just not comfortable with that. Like you still don't have to give in. Yeah, but really validating what they're feeling. And I, with parents, I make the joke all the time. You know, if you've had a terrible day, you come home and tell your spouse these are all the things that went wrong today. If your spouse comes in and says, "Well, that wouldn't have happened had you done this, this, and this," yeah, and you should do this, this, and this to fix it. Yeah, that's your fastest ticket to an argument. Yeah, that is how we respond to kids 90% of the time. Hmm. It's always, let's do a teaching moment. Sometimes the best teaching moment is really just validating where they are and letting them show you. They can figure it out, but they just needed their mom and dad who are their safest people in the world Mm -hmm. to say they're not crazy for feeling sad or feeling left out.
1: Yeah, which the hard part of that is it takes time. So much more time, (laughs) yes. So much more time. And we're so limited on time. But I always tell parents, but this is the greatest privilege you have. (laughs) And these are these little treasures that God's given you to raise. And I'm, I know it's hard. I feel the difficulties of that when I'm tired. And a lot of times kids don't want to have the conversation, you know, at 8 in the morning when I would be very amped up with a nice cup of coffee and eager to talk. It's going to be <laughs> late at night or, yeah. you know, when we're all exhausted because they've been, you know, they're sleep deprived. They're not getting seven hours a night. <laughs> Neither am I. So nope. <laughs> round and round and around it goes. It's really helpful. But, you know, the idea of validating that their response is coming from a place where they're feeling something deeply. Anger, sadness, whatever it is. I think it's really, really helpful. And being able to unpack with questions and some empathy. Like, oh, I guess I would feel the same way. Yeah. Um, Now at the end of the day, you may still be in the same place. Like we're not gonna let you do that because we're not comfortable with that. Um, But you have at least acknowledged we understand how you feel. Now they may tell you, no, you don't. (laughs) Nobody understands. that's a feeling they have too. Yeah, you can say, I guess I understand how you feel that way, but it's not necessarily true. Um, recently, one of our children had was invited to something. Um, it was going to be a production, a movie. I mean, I'm sorry, a drama, and um, got reaction. You know, my wife's like, oh, I don't think so. But it was another family that was going to see this, and so immediately you're like, well, we don't want our child to. Judging them, or think we're judging them, Mm -hmm. but we just had a gut reaction. So my wife, YouTube, Googled it and said, I want to see the high school production of this particular play, (laughs) just to see what the content was. In 30 seconds, we were Mm -hmm. like, There's no way this other family has seen this. (laughs) There's just no way. And they hadn't. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, that gut is really important to pay attention to. Then Mm -hmm. the time of, let's just see. But what we were dealing with was again, more than just one thing, it was the idea of potentially judging somebody else or a child for that. Mm -hmm. Then our particular child feeling shame over even wanting to do that Mm -hmm. and having that. My point is often there's gonna be more layers that are taking place, which means you need wisdom, you need Mm -hmm. counsel, you need need prayer, but you can't forget that that stuff's available, whether it's coming to a counselor Mm -hmm. like you, Talking to somebody, to, to other parents, reading books on it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be you loving your child, spending mm-hmm. time with your child, engaging your child, and then being the parents and saying, "This is what God's given us for you. We're going to lead this way." Is that, is that right? Am I, am Absolutely, because
0: I, right? I think a lot of times we assume that kids understand why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, they just don't have the information, and so kids maybe don't know that that thing is inappropriate. Yeah. I can still name movies that my parents wouldn't let me see mm-hmm. when I was younger, right. and my parents were pretty relaxed. Right. And so, you know, once they sat down and they were like, hey, listen, when we let you watch this movie, you had nightmares for several months. Yeah. So that's why we're saying it's probably not a great idea for you. Mm-hmm. To this day, I've never seen some of those movies because yeah. I was like, "Yo, oh, you're right. They yeah. don't respond well. Yeah. yeah. And then it makes more sense. but. Initially, my assumption is, well, you're just trying to take the fun away from me because...
1: Yeah. And parents seem to know, I would say to say, if your child doesn't think you're intentionally trying to take the fun away from them, you're not being a parent. (laughs) (laughs) You're just not being a parent. I mean, there's going to be those moments because we're all sinners. We're prone to do things that are outside the bounds of what God wants, or they're still perhaps inside the bounds, but just not good for you. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think Facebook in and of itself is sinful. My daughter was not going to be able to handle it at 16. You know, we drew that boundary. She did not like it. She didn't, you know, an hour later say, Father, thank you for your wisdom. You know, it just no. didn't happen. Now she's 26. She looks back and is grateful for that decision. Um, probably not all the decisions, um, but that one. So it's, it is hard, you know. Anything that you would like to share that we haven't talked about yet as it relates to, you know, technology, screens, video games, et cetera, that we haven't covered?
0: Oh, I think there's just so many things. I, but I do think a big thing for parents to take away is noticing how we're using phones on our own. Like, how are we actually showing kids? What's funny is when you watch infants, they know, Oh, Oh, that's the best because you cannot take your eyes off of it. Yeah. And so I think that it really starts with us. And I make the joke all the time with the kids I work with. I know that looking at my phone before I go to bed, I talk about it probably at least once a day that looking at it messes with my sleep schedule. It prevents me from getting deeper sleep. It, does all the things with blue light and things, I still have to really, really monitor myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good at it mm-hmm. a lot of days. And so paying attention to, hey, what am I modeling? What am I showing? Am I honest? Am I honest with my kids? Hey, this is hard for me. If That's why I'm being so hard with you. yeah, Because I recognize that it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust humans. Yeah, <laughs> I don't trust myself. It's not that you're wrong. It's that These things have been created to suck us in as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that honesty with it, and then also the awareness, kids are going to do what they see us do. Yeah. Way more than they're going to do what they hear us tell them to do.
1: I was driving down the toll road recently, taking my daughter to school. And um, we have a fun time. We go; I take her most mornings, and there's always commentary about other drivers on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like... We saw this person, I mean, they were like, they were like having, I don't even know oh, how they were goodness. steering the car. And it was like, you <laughs> know, we I was like, that's terrible. And then she was like, well, you text all the time when you're driving. And I was like, that's not true. Because <laughs> oh. this is not true. She goes, it is? I said, no, I look at the map, you know, I shop. i just kidding. <laughs> I'm, no, I, I don't, I don't She was like, well, what about one of the stoplights? I said, well, that's true. I do mm-hmm. this. She said, so when I start driving, am I, gonna, am I allowed to do that? I'm like, Okay. Ooh. This is important. Like they are watching. They're going to call a spade a spade. They're going to call us out. And I think sometimes it's not, sometimes it's always important to show humility. Like, you know, you're right. This isn't the best thing for me to be doing right now. Another thing that I was thinking about is um, with my son, who's, you know, in his 20s now. I remember telling him when we, we were trying to put some different protection devices around and monitoring what he's going to see and explaining to him that I, serve in a church and I have asked it, our elders, any one of them, anytime they want to, to come up and grab my phone or to ask to see our history. And if I have a deleted history, I did that on purpose. So it'll show if it's been a deleted mm-hmm. history. And I said, I do that. And he's like, why? I said, because I'm human, to your point. Yeah. I'm a sinner, I'm tempted. And I don't want to have a fall like that. I don't wanna see things I shouldn't see. Um, and today they seek you out.
0: Absolutely. You don't.
1: And I said, so if something comes to me that I shouldn't see, I have an elder that I call and say, I just want you to know this is what's happening. And it opened his eyes to realize it's not just me trying to be overprotective of him. It's like, no.
0: Yeah, it's not that you don't trust him. It's yeah. that you understand. Yeah, I don't trust humans. I like yeah. that
1: line um, because through the powerful work of the enemy— <laughs> Who roams around like a roaring lion and seeking someone to devour? I always tell my children, "You're someone. I'm someone. You're someone." Um, yeah. He really does want to devour us. This has been really helpful as a dad. First, I really mean that. I'm I, glad. Yeah, I, I think about certain things that I've done not so well, things that I think we have done well, but I know the battle's not over. You know, as long as these things continue to advance in the ways in which they seek to control Mm -hmm. us, it's gonna be a real challenge. You mentioned something about the intersection of when the iPhone or the smartphone was developed. Um, My second child is about to graduate from OU. And my first child graduated from Arkansas. We went to orientation with her, sit through all of that as parents do. Two years later, we went to OU for their orientation. And at that orientation, they said something that was really interesting. They said, we have now hired two full-time psychiatrists on our staff to be available to help you know, our student body at any mm-hmm. time with mental health issues. And so some questions begin to be asked about that. Why, why, why? This is a public university pointed everything back to that date of when smartphones became a reality in our life and the escalation of anxiety, depression, In suicide Mm -hmm. is why we believe we need these two individuals, you know, on our campus. Not just occasionally on our campus, full-time doctors present to help our student body. And that was a pretty alarming reality. You know, I'm grateful that Mm -hmm. they had that, but it was just like, wow, I mean, this really isn't something that's, it's a revolution. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. is in terms of what we've encountered.
0: And that was probably before the past two years that we've all lived through.
1: That's exactly right. We can't underestimate the wake of that destruction, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm very, very grateful again uh, for your time and what you do. I love that you've been at Sparrow House for nine years. I have a lot of respect for that practice. Um, I know you guys are full too. I mean, I know it it just shows you what the needs are in our world. So anyway, very, very grateful for you. If, you you. Have, um, if you've been listening or watching today, I wanna to say I'm glad that you came along for this journey. I encourage you to share this with other parents or other individuals as it relates to these topics. Um, if you need to talk about anything you've heard today, you can reach out to us at at PCPC.org. We would be so delighted to come alongside you. If you are in need of counseling or you like perspective, you could certainly call a practice like Sparrow House and, and go see one of their counselors. Um, the needs in this world are great, We know that above all, we have a savior who loves us, who is not alarmed or surprised by any of this, Um, he knows. But he also is the one who can give us everything that we need to know how to navigate. I always tell parents in our church that, you know, God has made you the parents of the children he's given you and in Christ Jesus, you're the perfect parent for them. But outside of that, you know, you may be making decisions that you have no idea why you're even making them. But He will give you everything, including counselors like this and topics like this where we can help understand the best ways to move forward. So again, thanks for watching. Again, deeplight at pcpc.org. We're very grateful. Jesse, thanks again. This is very helpful. God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to the Deep Light podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oaklawn Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit PCPC.org.